Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into Living Off the Land. This is episode 205. I'm your host, Dan, here uh, with my co-host, as always, over the last few months, uh, is uh, Steven, hashtag Steve. How are we doing tonight, sir? Uh, it's another Tuesday, and you know what that means. It means another episode of LOTL. Yes, it is. We're putting it in the books. 205, coming at you tonight. And uh, as you heard, a little crackle, snap, crackle, pop of the beer can. Beer of the week themed episode this week. Uh, we are going to be having a masters themed episode tonight. So I thought it was fitting to get the official Cleveland Metro Parks golf beer from Market Garden Brewery called the Pin High Pilsner. Mm. Now the let me take a sip here first. For those of you who don't play golf, the term pin high refers to a shot that lands. Uh, directly to one side of the pin on the green, so it's where you want to be. Pin High Pilsner, a Czech-inspired Pilsner brewed with a blend of European pale malts uh, and spicy uh, saz hops, saz hops, to form a crisp, well-rounded lager. A portion of proceeds from Pin High uh, Pilsner uh, will be donated to support youth golf educational programs at Cleveland Metro Parks golf courses. So... You buy this beer, uh, you're helping out a good cause. So uh, this is a very good beer. Uh, we've had it on the podcast before, maybe a year and a half ago, something like that. I think, <coughs> excuse me, when it first came out, very, very good beer. Crisp is an apt word for this. Um, it's a it's a summer drinking beer. Uh, it's, it's a beer you drink on the golf course. Uh, it's a beer you drink when you're grilling outside. It's a beer when you're working in the yard. It's a beer... It's a beer you drink when the weather's nice, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beer that you can drink a. Uh, <coughs> boy, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's a it's a beer you can drink a decent amount of. It is 4.8 percent ABV, and it's got a really cool green can with the uh, typical uh, Market Garden uh, Guardian statue logo, and yeah it was 10.99 for the six pack at Max Beverage in Parma on Ridge Road shout out Max if you want to sponsor the podcast you know get at me um but yeah very good beer uh i'm going to go 74 on this 74 7.4 all right on the beer scale so that is the rating the review uh, i would definitely suggest uh trying this it's a real easy drinker really uh light crisp uh but good flavor um, so definitely check this out, uh, market garden. I would assume it's on the, it's on the tap at the brewery. Um, and as always beer from the tap always tastes better than a can. So definitely check out pin high Pilsner from market garden brewery. All right. Go buy the six pack for 1099 before you file your 1099 here. We're, getting, we're getting very close to tax time here. Uh, you know, about 11 days. So. Have I filed yet? No, because it looks like I have to pay. So, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that's definitely worthy of a PIR loser horn. But what is not worthy of a PIR loser horn is tonight's Better Know a Neighborhood segment. Uh, BNAC, as I've been calling it on social media. BNAC. The acronym BNAK. All right. 
Last week, we had a lot of fun. We went to Ohio City, uh, which was, I believe, our seventh neighborhood that we've covered. Uh, This week, we're going to go back toward the other side of town. We're going to go a little bit to the east. And, um, you know, what's more, you know, today was like one of the most average days you could possibly have, which we don't get a lot of average. It's it's a Tuesday. It was 56 degrees. An average high is 55 um, we don't get seemingly get a lot of those days in terms of weather here, but uh, I don't know why I'm going on that tangent. But um, one of the things that's quintessentially Cleveland is the Cleveland Clinic. Mm. And we're going to talk a lot about the Cleveland Clinic main campus tonight because we are going to Fairfax neighborhood. Fairfax neighborhood is on the east side. It is adjacent to University Circle on the east side on East 105th Street, board, bounded on the south by, by Shaker Avenue. Uh, in the east by East 73rd Street, and then in the north uh, by Euclid Avenue. And the Cleveland Clinic main campus, the majority of it lies within this neighborhood and covers an area literally of two square miles. There are no less than 70 buildings within the Cleveland Clinic main campus. It is just a sprawling inner—it's its own city— that goes all the way from East 86th Street all the way out to East 105th, actually a little bit past East 105th, up to the campus of John Hay High School on the far east end. And literally any sort of medical condition, any sort of, uh, basically if you've got it, they cover it, they take care of it at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, Not just at the main campus, but also at all of the satellite hospitals across the region. But again, if you if you've never set foot in the Cleveland Clinic main campus, I mean, you're going to be wowed just by. In fact, all the buildings are like you think for a Cleveland institution that's been around for 60, 70, 80 years, actually 100 years, truthfully, um, the. You know, a lot of the buildings would be showing their age, perhaps. No, most of the buildings there are actually pretty new. Yeah, uh, and it's largely because of the the rapid expansion of the campus over the last twenty thirty years. But again, even the the buildings right in the geographic center of the campus, right near East Ninety Third Street and uh, Euclid Avenue, are are pretty new too. You know, some s- stylish, gleaming glass a- architecture and everything. Um, this is part of what's driving the growth of not only University neighborhood but also Huff neighborhood, which we covered a few weeks ago. Lots of uh, lots of gentrification going on. I have to say that that gen- in terms of the residential area in Fairfax, which basically is the area immediately to the west and the south of Cleveland Clinic, I can't say that that area has really come back or is really building itself up like you're seeing in Huff further to the north. It's a little bit more homogenous, just single-family home type area, and it's mostly you know, what I would consider to be low income. There's not a lot of public housing in the area. That's more to the um, over towards Central Neighborhood and then over um, once you get down toward Woodland Avenue. Mm. But I would expect, like, some of the the growth that you're seeing in Huff, I would eventually start to see it moving toward Fairfax. And honestly, one of the biggest things that's happening um, is on the southeast part of this neighborhood in terms of the residential area. The Opportunity Corridor Project, which was just created uh, completed last November, it could be a real game changer. This is the road that was created from the end of I-490 at East 55th Street over to the Cleveland Clinic main campus on East 105th. And this new road, which, I mean, is all concrete. They've got um, trails on either side of the road. It looks like they just, you know, uh, they did a really amazing job with it, actually. And 
you're now starting to see some businesses starting to line up to go in along this corridor. In fact, Meyer, who just recently entered the Northeast Ohio market within the last few years, uh, they got stores in Avon, a uh, store just went in in Brunswick. They are putting up a store at the corner of East 105th and Cedar, which is, again, right in between Fairfax and University Neighborhood. Fairfax for a long time has been a food desert, and I talk about this a lot when I talk about some of the neighborhoods, particularly on the east side, but also on the lower west side, where you these grocery stores, they don't, they either don't like the, the demographic makeup or the income makeup of the neighborhood, or perhaps the crime rate is too high, and they don't want to move into these areas. Meyer's putting up shop literally right in, in the uh, on the east end of this neighborhood, you know, not far from Cleveland Clinic, not far from University. <coughs> and I do think that's where it's got to start. It's got to start in the more desirable part of a neighborhood and then kind of just seep its way you know, over. And you saw that in Ohio City. You saw that in Tremont. You're seeing it now in Detroit Shoreway. You know, even now, the left west end of Detroit Shoreway, the southwest end is still kind of rough, but the area around Gordon Square has come back tremendously. Uh, they're going to attempt the same thing in Buckeye Shaker with you know rebuilding Shaker Square and then trying to get it to eke its way over to the west. So the hope is, is that and, – and there's other businesses along the Opportunity Corridor as well. Orlando Baking Company, uh, a mm -hmm. major Cleveland staple, um, a bread supplier in the area. They are um, just off of East 93rd Street and the Opportunity Corridor. Um, I do think that you're going to see that turn into a bit of a uh, – maybe not like – not necessarily retail businesses, but you could. I mean, Meyer is a good start, uh, but you could. And there are Myers. There are Myers popping up everywhere in Northeast Ohio now. They really are. I mean, they're they're coming in to disrupt the grocery business. You know, especially, and they're really taking aim specifically at Giant Eagle, mm -hmm. who for a long time has just kind of skated by. And mm -hmm. honestly, their prices. I'm not going to start disparaging them, but <laughs> let's just say I paid a little too much for my Reese's Puffs this past Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Reese's Puffs, amazing cereal, my favorite. <laughs> Um, okay, that was a tangent. So anyway, <coughs> we again talk about some major corridors. Like you know, We talked about the Opportunity Corridor. That's kind of new. But the main business corridor in this area is right along Euclid Avenue, going right through the middle of Cleveland Clinic main campus. And then as you go to the west into an area that they sometimes refer to as Midtown, Midtown kind of is in its own neighborhood. It kind of covers like partway through Central and partway through Fairfax and Huff. Mm -hmm. Um, there's two businesses I do want to point out in this area. One is the Cleveland Bagel Company, which is at oh, the, yeah. which is at the corner of East 77th and Carnegie, actually Carnegie Avenue. And this place is 4.6 star rated and has amazing bagels, amazing sandwiches. They apparently they make a BLT on a bagel, which is which is super super awesome. Um, but they know what their target market is. It's their busiest during the morning. They have you know you want your bacon, egg, and cheese. You want your egg and sausage on a bagel. You can get that there. And some of the reviews are sterling. Like they're saying, you know, you get your best bagels in New York. No, the bagels are just as good here as you'll find anywhere on the East Coast uh, based on some of the reviews. I got to, I actually got to stop there one of these nights. The problem is, is whenever I'm over in that neighborhood, it's like late at night. They're not open. So, well, there's, there's yeah. also one, uh, there's also one on the West side, uh, just, um, just west on Detroit from Saucy Brewworks. Okay, Ohio City. Yeah. Interesting. I wow, I didn't even know that. Okay, yeah. so if you're I on think, that side of town, that's a very desirable. I think place that's the see. original location. I could be wrong, but that's the one I've always gone to. That would make sense that they would build on on the west <laughs> side before uh, building in the east. 
But, um, yeah, definitely check them out. If you're on the west side or the east side, they are definitely worth checking out. And then just right next door almost at the corner of East 79th in Carnegie is Angie's Soul Cafe. And this is a business that um, is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it is 100% cashless, and they're one of the only places I know that you could, that they take Apple Pay, Google Pay. Well, not that. I mean, a lot of places take those, but you can actually pay with Cash App, which mm-hmm. is kind of intriguing. I yeah. don't know many places where you can Can you that. pay with Bitcoin? Boy, I mean, you're, now you're really getting bougie if you're talking about cryptocurrency. You know? Hey. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they'll take it. They'll probably take anything. Um, this is, you know, so if you go there, this is where you get your baked chicken. You get sm- uh, chicken and waffles. Uh, you can get cat, you know, Carolina-style catfish, which you can't get in many areas of the <laughs> Are city. Are you about to say cat food? Eh, I don't serve that, but, uh, you know, salmon croquettes, that's interesting. I don't even mm-hmm. know what a croquette is, but, uh, you know, they got good seafood. They got, if you, the, the side dishes and the vegetables are actually kind of interesting. You get black-eyed peas. You got... Uh, candied yams, collard greens. You know, this is this, you're getting some real traditional um, soul cooking here, um, which is which is great. I mean, there's there are places like this that are kind of like hole in the wall in some of the other neighborhoods. This one's like right on the main drag, right on Carnegie Avenue. Uh, 4.2 star rated on on Google. Uh, Angie Soul Cafe, check them out. So. That's basically Fairfax in a nutshell. I do think that this is a neighborhood that does have some future potential, similar to Huff. I wouldn't be quite as, if again, if these neighborhoods were stocks, I'd be buying Huff before I buy Fairfax. But the Opportunity Corridor is a major game changer, and I do think that if that area starts getting built up along with the already strong commercial corridor between Euclid and Carnegie, eventually those two forces are going to start to infringe on the nearby residential areas, and you're going to have some rebirth. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Again, I'd be looking at huffing maybe even Buckeye Shakers as as maybe more lucrative in the short term, but Fairfax definitely has some interesting points. So that is Fairfax. That's neighborhood number eight. And you can put it on on the the board. board. Yes. Yes. Another one in the books, folks. Mm. Well, we started the episode by previewing a golf-inspired beer. We are now into April. And if you've listened to this podcast during the month of April over the last several years, you know that my favorite sporting event of the entire year is this weekend. For many reasons. That is Uh, high praise, by the way. One... Uh, because it always happens, uh, sometimes, sometimes it occurs during my birthday, but it's always generally the weekend before my birthday. And when you watch this event and you just see how pristine and how beautiful the landscape is at this event, it gives you the first clue that warm and good weather is on its way is it well actually if you look at the long range forecast that is true yeah of course i'm talking about the masters and we are talking tonight on the episode that's what's going to uh concern most of our time yeah that happened (laughs) 
<laughs> some YouTube. Kermit the Frog going on here? Hello, friends. I'm Jim Nance. Welcome to the Masters. A tradition unlike any other. Let's just play this out for a second. Enjoy it. TV right now for this. As the Masters theme, oh, it's just Bobby Jones, Gene Sarazen, Tiger Woods, all the names that have come through the hallowed grounds of Augusta National. It is, to some, the greatest course in the world. Now, I, there's this, others that are in that discussion, but Augusta is definitely in that discussion. Would you consider the Masters to be the Super Bowl of golf? Mm, oh, boy. Uh, frankly, no. Wow. You're probably going to think I'm nuts, but I think the Masters is actually only the third biggest major. Oh, get the hell out of here. Are you doing ruining this entire episode for me right now? <laughs> you asked the question, so I, ooh, I have to get the honest ooh, answer. Oh, what's better? Uh, the Open Championship? Actually, yes. Get the f out of here. Oh, oh, the U.S. Open? Yes. Come on! Why? I want to hear. I want to hear it. Okay, so you wanted to hear it. The Open Championship was the one that started everything, first of all. The game of golf was born at St. Andrews. so It was perfected at Augusta National. Oh, You can make that argument, for sure. You definitely can. You know, I'm, I'm, you're, you're asking me to give the argument. With the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open is the national championship, and some of the courses you see in the U.S. Open are right up there, and in my opinion, some are better than Augusta National. Get out. Pebble Beach, anyone? Get out. Okay. I, can't, I can't believe you're saying this. I thought we were going to be in lockstep with this. That's just that's my honest opinion. Yeah. No, it's because you're a big fan of Shinnecock. Shinnecock Hills is a great course. I, I bet you think that. It's not as good. It's not even the best course on Long Island. That'd be Beth Page Black, but, mm. you know. I can't believe you. <laughs> well. You've completely thrown me for a loop. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we should have discussed this before we went on the air. No. <laughs> authentic reaction is what I'm all about. I can't believe that. <laughs> Is this sacrilege to you? Jeez. Well, you can find us on social media at the LOTL Podcast. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Good Lord. Hey, you know what? The Masters is the only major that's played at the same course every year. To me, it is the greatest, most beautiful, most... Say what you want about whatever St. Andrews, Beth Page Black, and Shinnecock, and all that stuff. There's no course better than Augusta. Come on. The Azaleas, Amen Corner, 16. Six. 
How about 18 as a finishing 18. hole? I mean, come on. Jeez. 18 does have the narrowest tee shot, I think, in golf. Yeah. With how close they put the trees to the tee. Like, almost literally right up against the tee box. And what Crazy. we're going to get into in a little bit, how about the traditions of Augusta National? Put those up against any tournament or golf course or anything in, in the country. Don't give me St. Andrews. It's over there in Scotland, or wherever the hell it is. Scotland? Yes, it is Scotland. Yeah, whatever. Oh, we invented the game there. Blah, 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 blah. Get the hell out of here. So do you golf is kind of like soccer in the sense that it, soccer was also <laughs> born in the U.K., but it was perfected somewhere else. Well, it wasn't perfected here, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, not the U.S. In this case, well, I mean, you could say Italy. but uh, Really? Yeah. You got to do that twice now in the same no, episode. No, no, I was saying that soccer was perfected in Italy. Yes, but that, that but bringing up soccer in Italy right now is not really. I didn't want to say Brazil. Did you want me to go there? <laughs> I don't swear on this podcast, but f Brazil. <laughs> I was trying to. God, be nice. I found to be nice. Well, anyway, so got, so the Masters are played this week. Apparently, it's some old rinky dink tournament down there in uh, rural Georgia that nobody cares about. So. Uh, we'll j- I guess we'll just talk about something else. Yeah, how about them Guardians? <laughs> Are we segueing or no? No, okay. no we're not segueing. Okay. I'm just joking. <laughs> but you pissed me off with your uh, royal, royal Saint Andrews and and Beth Page Black and you know all the, the Pebble Beach. I know Pebble Beach is an amazing. Golf you want to talk about traditions? How about sleeping in your car the night before to get on Beth Page Black? There's tradition. How about you're an a-hole if you do that? <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you one thing. There's only one. Now, oh, where'd it go? There's only one golf tournament where you get to hear this. Tradition unlike any. Hello. Hello, friends. I'm Jim Nance, and I'll welcome you to a tradition unlike any other. The Masters. On CBS. There's a reason they call it a tradition unlike any other. It is the Super Bowl of golf. You, you contrarian. Well, anyway, uh, the Masters, uh, actually, the, the festivities are already underway. Uh, we had the, uh, it's par, the the Par 3 Classic. Is that tomorrow, I believe? Tomorrow, Wednesday. yes. Uh, a bunch of the golfers practiced today, played a bunch of practice rounds. Yesterday, they had the... Uh, the ceremonial practice rounds where they have about five or six uh, golfers um, skip across the uh, the pond to get onto the green on 16, which I always think is is absolutely incredible. They just hit skip shots across the across the pond and get onto the green at 16. It's, I want I want somebody to actually do that like in the tournament. It's so cool because if you've ever played the game, you've at least had even if you're a great player, you've at least had one or two shots where you just completely topped it. And oh it's like, God, yeah, go you know, And if it's and if you hit it at the right trajectory and speed, it will skip across the water and may do three, four, five skips possibly before going in. Physics, yeah, you know. Um. So yeah, I just I wrote down a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, just 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 for Augusta and the Masters, and then we can kind of get into. I want to talk about um kind of our favorite um. Uh, Masters moments 
and obviously we're going to talk about Tiger because I think it's absolutely miraculous that he's going to try and give it a go on Thursday. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. The guy was on the verge of having his right leg amputated, and in just over a year, he's back to playing, uh, you know, I guess I can't say the the greatest golf tournament in the world because apparently I'm not right, but one of. Um, it's just my dumb opinion. You don't need to be. Yeah, well, smart ass of the week. I'll nominate you. <laughs> anyway, presented so, by LOTL. Yeah. So, just a few things about Augusta National. Uh, it opened in 1933, and they uh, began playing uh, the tournament that is now called the Masters. It was called the National uh, back in 1934 when they started. Uh, you heard me reference Amen Corner. Uh, we can kind of uh, get into that in a little bit. Those that's holes 11, 12, and 13. Uh, where a lot of times uh, players make or break their tournaments in that little three-hole stretch. Uh, an interesting part about Augusta National, so obviously it's a private club, and in order to become a member at Augusta, you must be uh, invited to be a member. You have to be invited by either another member or the actual course itself. It's not something where you can just go, hey, I want to be a member, here's, here's my dues for the year. Not like a normal country club. Uh, it has an absolutely historical uh, driveway that leads up to the clubhouse called Magnolia Lane, and I would I would venture to guess it's up there with uh, with like the White House as to being like the the most famous uh, driveway in America. It really does seem iconic in that way. I mean, if you just look at it, if you watch any they of the coverage, the tree branches over top of the road, which is sweet. Yeah, the ma- the magnolia trees. I mean, it's just it's a hundred. It's sixty one magnolia trees on each side of the the, the three hundred thirty foot driveway leading up to the clubhouse, and it's just it's just. I mean, the, one of the main things for me about watching this golf court or watching this golf tournament is just the scenery. It's the scene, like you know, in soccer when. When there's a big goal and the crowd goes nuts, they say scenes like that's scenes like from a movie or something. That's what this is for this for this golf tournament and golf in general. Like when you see the iconic view walking up Magnolia Lane to the clubhouse, you know you're at or in for something special at at uh, Augusta National. Uh, we have the tradition of the green jacket, which is bestowed on uh, the winner of each tournament. And it is placed on the winner of the tournament by the winner of the previous year's tournament, which I think is a really cool, like, changing of the guards type thing. And I think that – I don't know if you know this. Tell me if you do. I I found this interesting when I was doing a little bit more research on uh, the Masters. You don't get to keep that jacket. You get to wear it. I, what is it? You, I think you get it you for get it a year. For a year, you can take it anywhere, and then it goes to give back it. to the clubhouse and goes in your in your locker. And you can only wear it on the premises of, of Augusta National. That's correct. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't know that. I just figured, I just figured like it's 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 yeah, a, so it's almost like they loan you the trophy in a sense, and you have yeah. to give it back. I mean, yeah, and then you can only wear it when you're there. They don't make a new one. Wow. So all the all the all the past champions are actually wearing theirs right now at the uh, champions dinner, which is the. Uh, which is the next piece of uh, uh, interesting information I wanted to get to. The Champions Dinner, which I think is interesting, and I want to get want to get your thoughts because I want to know what would go on your menu. The Champions Dinner, the previous year's champion, gets to pick the menu for all living past year's champions that gather uh, two nights before the tournament starts, and oh, they wow. create the menu with the appetizer, the main course, and the dessert. Oh, interesting. So, uh, for 
uh, let me hold on. I should I should have had this pulled up. Um. So last year's winner. I think I know what I would have. Actually. Last year's. I, we'll get that in a minute. I just wanted to. Uh, let me see. Let me pull it up here. Hideki Matsuyama is the winner of the Masters last year. So here is his Masters Club dinner. I can't wait to for hear tonight. this. Appetizer, assorted sushi, uh, sashimi, and uh, nigiri yakitori chicken skewers. So okay. sushi, basically sushi and chicken skewers. Uh, the first course is a miso-glazed black black cod and dashi broth. Fish. Yeah. The main course is a Miyazaki Wagyu, an A5 Wagyu beef ribeye with mixed mushrooms and vegetables uh, served with, I don't know what this is, but Sancho uh, Daikon Ponzu. Hmm. I mean, something Japanese with, I've, I've with steak. I'm guessing it might be some sort of a potato dish, possibly. And then the thing that I was the thing that I was uh, really interested in was uh, <laughs> a, the, the, the dessert is a Japanese strawberry shortcake. What makes a strawberry shortcake Japanese? Fluffy sponge cake with whipped cream and uh, uh, a Mao strawberry. So maybe the strawberries are from Japan. What was that potato dish? Sancho Daikon Ponzu. Daikon Ponzu. That oh, uh, boy. What is what? Yeah, what is that? Served in honor of Hideki Matsuyama, last year's uh, major, last year's uh, Masters champion. Well, that is interesting because I believe he was the first uh, from Japan to ever win the tournament. I believe so. Yeah. Um, Colin Morikawa won a major last year, but it wasn't the Masters. I can't remember what he won. I think it was the U.S. Open, maybe, or maybe the PGA. It was either one. Yeah, it was one of those two. Yeah, I think so. Um, That's pretty noteworthy, though, that two of the current major holders are <coughs> from Japan. That's yeah, kind of a well, big I think deal. I think I think uh, Colin is of uh, Japanese descent. I think he's from. I think he's from here. Hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm just I'm just trying to go back to see what was served in years past. Hmm. Um. So just for just for reference, a 2020 champion, Dustin Johnson, choice of garden or Caesar salad, main course of a prime filet mignon with mashed potatoes and spring vegetables, or miso marinated sea bass. The dessert was a peach cobbler or apple pie with vanilla ice cream for dessert. Oh, apple pie with vanilla ice cream, one of the best desserts you can possibly have. I mean, that's have. not American. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh... 2019, when Tiger won, when he had his epic comeback win uh, at uh, the Masters, uh, served fajitas with sushi, sashimi, and milkshakes for dessert. Really? Fajitas? Yeah. I wouldn't have expected that. Well, being from California, uh, fajitas and sushi are probably two of the main dishes. That does make sense when you consider the geography. Yeah. 2018 champion Patrick Reed served a bone-in ribeye steak with mac and cheese. Sign me the F up. He pretty much took exactly what I was thinking. Creamed spinach, steamed broccoli, creamed corn, and a choice of Caesar or wedge salad. For dessert, tiramisu, vanilla bean creme brulee, and a chocolate crunch and praline cheesecake. Go. Good God, Patrick Reed loves his desserts. Well, I'm assuming you didn't get all three. Yeah, right. Here's an interesting one. Uh, 2007. Now, I imagine that this guy thought about his menu for years and years and years. 2017, Sergio Garcia. 
who was probably the greatest golfer ever to never win a major before 2017. Did he serve paella? So here we go. Uh, Spanish flavor and then some. An international salad as a starter. Arroz caldoso de bogavante. A Spanish lobster rice as the primary meal. Okay. And Angela Garcia's uh, tres leche cake for dessert. Mm. Homemade dessert. Danny Willett in 2016, traditional English fare. England, yep. With the first course of a mini mini cottage pie, followed by a, quote, Sunday roast with prime rib, uh, roasted potatoes and vegetables, Yorkshire pudding and gravy. For dessert, apple crumble with vanilla custard. Oh, Everybody going with their with their national pride dishes here. Uh, we we need Francesco Molinari to win it this yeah. year, I guess. 2015 Jordan Spieth, a Texas barbecue feast featuring beef brisket, smoked half chicken, and pork ribs with baked beans, bacon, and a chive potato salad, green beans, zucchini, and squash as sides, and a warm chocolate chip cookie with vanilla ice cream for dinner. For oh, oh, yeah. So I'm not gonna keep. I'm not gonna you know keep. I could go down the list, but. Um, this is interesting. Well, I guess we have to say... 2000, 2010, Phil Mickelson. I talk about another guy who was thinking for a long time. Ensalada Verde con vinagreta de gazpacho. So he served a gazpacho soup, which is which is interesting. Gazpacho is usually served cold, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, seafood paella, prime beef tenderloin with smoked paprika demi-glaze, asparagus tortilla española, which is a Spanish wow. omelet, which is a Spanish omelet. Okay. Spanish apple pie with vanilla ice cream and uh, cinnamon ganache. His dish was more Spanish than Sergio Garcia's was. 2009 champion Angel Cabrera. Argentina. Argent Argentine asado, multi-course barbecue featuring chorizo, blood sausage, short ribs, beef fillets, and uh, mollejas. Mm-hmm. Meat, meat, and more meat. I'm yeah. not surprised. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's you know, you could go down the list and talk, and, and it's interesting. I'm just looking at all the different Tiger. Tiger has had every time he's won, he does something different. Hmm. Well, yeah, because if you've won it three, four, or five times, I guess you just can't get stale, Tiger Woods you know? in 1997. When I, I can't even, I don't even know. Like, so he's 46 right now. 97. That's 25 years ago. So 21. He was 21. Cheeseburgers, grilled chicken sandwiches, French fries, strawberry and vanilla milkshakes. <laughs> I mean, he's 21 years old, 21, right. 22. You can't blame him. Yes. Oh, 1996 champion, Nick Faldo. Fish and chips. And tomato soup. <laughs> you just wanted to say fish and chips. Oh, absolutely. All right, so here we go. So what is Masters champion Steven Stefano's champion's dinner? Well, my champion's dinner would be close, most closely resemble Patrick Reed, okay, with a little bit of Jordan Spieth thrown in there. I was thinking, <laughs> is that how you is that how you categorize your golf game too? I wish it was <laughs> anything like that, right? If I played anything like those two guys, I mean, <laughs> maybe except for when Jordan Spieth uh, uh, pooped himself on Amen Corner uh, in twenty eight. I would I would still be fine finishing top three of a major. Well, right. They could talk about how I didn't win, but like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, for so Masters champion Steven Stefano would be serving bacon wrapped fillets, mm. 
as well. I guess I'm jumping right to the main course. Um, I, I would be serving that. What's your appetizer? With let's see, with uh, either baked potatoes or mac and cheese. Um, uh, the salad probably just be either a Caesar or an iceberg. Um, you know the side dishes again. I said baked potato, your mac and cheese, or broccoli. Mm-hmm. I would go with that. And for the dessert, I would be. I would say. Yeah, I'll go with the chocolate chip cookie with the vanilla ice cream. Mm, I think that's that's pretty hard to go against. All right, for me, I got to get a little Italian in there. So, uh, the appetizer is actually going to be just a small side bowl of cavatelli, mm-hmm. a little pasta. Main course, a thirty-two ounce dry-aged wagyu tomahawk ribeye. Whoa, two pounds. With a side, so I did pasta with as the as the appetizer. So I can't do mac and cheese as a side. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, and that's a lot of meat. Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, sautéed broccoli. Well, I mean, not sautéed, but like steamed or. Uh, I prefer it sautéed. Yeah, sautéed garlic broccoli, and then dessert uh, cassata cake. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, so with the custard and the uh, strawberry filling. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my dad and granddad's favorite. As your, you need to figure out if your dad's been to uh, Corbo's in Little Italy and gotten the cassata kick there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so those are our champion's dinner menus. So let us know what you think. You can tweet at us, and, and you can tell us what your menus are. I, I'm fascinated to hear people's. Um, what their dinners? Yeah, would be I can't wait to see what menu. some of the people are gonna would would serve in this situation. So, so yeah, that um, that is the champions' dinner. And another thing that's interesting about about Augusta National is every hole is named after a plant. This is because the course was actually built on a nursery, I believe. Yes, absolutely. Every course is named after a plant. Um, you know, obviously with the famous azaleas on thirteen, thirteen is named azalea. Uh, eighteen is named Holly. I'm trying to think of other well-known ones. Uh, shoot. Those are the two I knew off the top of my head. Number one, I think, is T Olive, which is uh, aptly, you know, T T T. Ah, yeah. You you start a hole by hitting off the T. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it was it was originally a um, uh, yeah, it was originally a, a plant nursery. Uh, Augusta National, so um, it, it's it's really cool that they named every every uh, every hole after a uh, every hole after a plant. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we got into the actual tournament, we talk about our favorite moments and who, and we give our picks for who we think is going to win this weekend. Uh, is the crow's nest in the clubhouse um, during Masters Week? Now the crow's nest is essentially a you're talking about like the penthouse, like almost yes. like name for the the top part of the bow of a ship. Yeah. Okay. But it's the it's the part of the uh, it's the part of the clubhouse. No, I'm talking about the club. So the top floor of the clubhouse at Augusta National, right, is essentially if if you if you went to college and you stayed in a multi bedroom, um, flat almost in the dorms. That's essentially what this is. And what happens is. 
they have select members of the amateurs that are playing in the tournament actually stay there. Oh, interesting. So there's there's bedrooms up there. There's a there's a common room, you know, bathroom, shower, all that stuff. And then you can actually take from in that room, you can climb up a ladder and go to the actual crow's nest, and you can overlook the entire course. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So now, obviously, no amateur has ever won the Masters. So it's not like it's good luck if you, like, stay there and you stay in the crow's nest, you might win the Masters. But eight amateurs who have stayed there over the course of the Masters have gone on to win the Masters tournament. Okay. So I don't remember the names of those. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. So and that's a tradition they probably extend to the ladies now too, because <laughs> the Amwa tournament was last held last weekend at Augusta, yeah. and yeah, you know, the which, women's amateur which tournament just started three years ago. So yeah, which I think is really cool, and it, and it really shows a uh, a growing. Obviously, they're late to the party, but growing a more progressive um, type of uh, rules and guidelines to Augusta National because uh, as as recently as of like 10 years ago, if you were a woman, you couldn't be a, a member at the Masters. That's right. And that was a knock on Augusta National yeah. for a long time. In fact, Condoleezza when, Rice is actually the first women's uh, member. Back during that time period, when the National Organization of, for Women and other organizations were basically doing their campaigns against Augusta National, there was a time where the Masters didn't have any sponsors. The, and, and actually, that was actually a good thing if you were watching on TV because coverage was commercial free. Yeah. Which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so those are some of the main talking points when, when you're talking about the actual club of Augusta. There are some other things that I would like to throw in here. Oh, go ahead. Quick. Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, the food prices at the stands yes, are okay, ridiculously I low. I, you can, in fact, order one of everything on the menu. It only costs you 56 bucks. Brett's going to smack me in the mouth when, when he when he listens to this and, and, and figures out that I didn't bring up the food menu. Him and I, every year, talk about pimento <laughs> cheese sandwiches and egg salad <laughs> sandwiches. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thursday and Friday, I'm, Thursday I'm probably going to make a pimento cheese sandwich for lunch. And then Friday, I'm probably going to make an egg salad sandwich for lunch. But yeah, the uh, the the food prices are the food and drink prices at Augusta are extremely low. There's no food on the menu that's more than three bucks. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like it's really a good fare. Like I just got done saying pimento cheese sandwiches and egg salad sandwiches. Like it's just like the tradition of the tournament. The egg salad sandwich is a buck fifty. Yep. It's just egg salad on a on a plain plain white bread. If you're there early in the morning, the chicken and sausage biscuit is only a buck fifty. Let's go. And a blueberry muffin's only a buck. Yeah. Huh. Well, it do, it does cost probably a couple grand to get in there. Probably for the tournament, but yeah, the least they could do is uh, help you out on some of the food costs. At least at least you won't have to worry about tipping because tipping is banned. Love to see it. Yep. Cell phones. You can't take them in. Nope. They're prohibited at all times. Yep. Cameras are also not permitted. Yep. You can't you cannot get any imagery whatsoever from inside Augusta National. They nope. will not let you do that. And well, you can. You can buy if a, you're a member of the media. Well, that you can buy a disposable they still sell these at Augusta. You can buy a disposable camera. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Well, and and because of no cell phones, Augusta National is one of the only <sighs> places in the US and possibly the world now where there are long lines for pay phones. Yes. Who they the have f- banks of pay phones because you can't use your cell phone. 
who the still uses a payphone. Yeah, I mean, you can bring your cell phone into Augusta, but it's got to be on silent. And if they see you take it out of your pocket, they'll kick you out. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great way. <laughs> that's a great way. You know, if you're if you're an usher at Augusta National and you walk up to somebody who's got their phone in their hand, you just tap them on the shoulder and be like, "Let's go. You're done. Get out." <laughs> Interestingly enough, the ponds at Augusta National supposedly are really good for fishing, mm. but don't do it because it's banned. Yeah, right. Uh, only four. You know, I kind of touched on this earlier. Even now, the commercial breaks every hour are only four minutes every hour. Mm-hmm. They'll literally have like two minutes at top of the hour and two minutes at the bottom, and yeah. that's it. Yeah, they. Uh, it's it's such a traditionalist tournament. To where you know they're not they're not in it to make every cent that they possibly can, which I really enjoy. That's refreshing in today's yeah. world, especially. I mean, sports. like like I said, it it, it costs it it's going to cost you thousands of dollars to get in there, but if you're you know like we talked about with the concession foods and the prices, and then watching it on TV, you know it's very minimal the uh, uh, the commercial breaks. And then TV commentators are not allowed to refer to fans as fans or even as spectators. They are to be called patrons. That's right. It's very classy there at Augusta. Mm-hmm. Something you won't find at St. Andrews. What? And they also, interesting fact, so when you have the rough, so you have the rough, you have the fairway, and then sometimes you have this intermediate cut that you sometimes are is often referred to as the first cut. Yes. Well, they don't call the rough the rough at Augusta. They actually call it the second cut. Yes. Yes. And which that's a, that's kind of cheeky actually. Um and that's that's actually kind of a distinction between the Masters and most notably the US Open where they generally grow the rough to ridiculous heights. Yeah. And everybody talks about the rough every week yeah. or the whole week. The festival. They don't ever talk about the rough at Augusta. No. No. I mean, Augusta National, it's I I tweeted it this week. It's got to be the most beautiful, pristine piece of landscape anywhere in this country you will not see any weeds ever no never ever in fact you won't even see animals because the fences are such that animals cannot get in yeah like you won't even see squirrels hardly and forget about deer like i think there's been one deer sighting at augusta in 65 years or something yeah yeah it is so pristine it is so just absolutely gorgeous i i have to get down to augusta national for a master's tournament once in my life it is like on sports bucket lists, I mean, outside of maybe a Browns Super Bowl parade, I mean, going to the Masters is like, it's it's tip of the top. You know, last October, I got to play a course in the U.S. Open rotation for the first time. Shinnecock? I got to, no, not Shinnecock. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just, you're thinking it's, I don't even know. But, um, no, uh, completely other side of the country, Torrey Pines. Oh, yeah, I remember. In, in I remember San Diego. Yeah. And while Torrey Pines was great, like, I wasn't, like, completely, like, super amazingly wowed, blown away by it. So maybe that's what I just got to do to really believe in the master. I got to go to Augusta just to see for myself just how amazing the grounds are and be like, okay, here's what. Torrey Pines is one of the, I would feel like, was one of the lower courses in the U.S. Open rotation. Like, if I would play Pebble Beach. Yeah, that would have probably been a more one-to-one comparison, but yeah. still, very, you watch uh, on TV. It is, I mean, literally, it's. I do. I actually did work with somebody years ago who did get the to play at Augusta National, oh, wow. and he actually played Pinehurst number two as well. Jeez. And Pinehurst 
is one of the top five or six courses in the U.S. Open rotation. I, I straight up asked him, which course is better, Pinehurst or Augusta? And he said, oh, it's, it's not even close. It's Augusta. I was like, really? Because yeah. Pinehurst is outstanding. So if, if Augusta is that much better than Pinehurst, that tells you you really are in the, the primo at Augusta. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I just I got to get there. So, anyway, let's talk about the actual tournament. Okay. And what I want to know, I want to talk about Tiger because that's just an incredible story that, that we're about to see unfold over the next – 96 hours. See the crowds that were following him during the practice round? He was practicing. It was like he was, it's like he was walking up to 18 green on Sunday with a one stroke lead. Literally. That's what the, that's what the images look like. It's unbelievable. Um, what is your favorite masters shot or moment of all time? Okay, um, we actually talked about this. You know, people who had to wait a long time before winning this major. Phil Mickelson, the first time he mm. won this major, he had a one-shot lead and had a, about a 12, 15-footer on 18 to win the tournament. And he toilet-flushed it Drain for the win, where literally he he had the – he rose his hands above his head – he had the putter up there, and it was like starting to jump, but he wasn't sure if it was in yet because it was going around the backside of the cup, and it jumps in, it dropped in, and he did a little bunny hop because he was like already almost coming down. Yeah. It was one of the more funny moments I think I've ever seen. But it yeah. was, I mean, you talk about clutch having that on the line to win the, the Masters. It it doesn't get much more intense. Than that, yeah. I mean, Phil on the greens usually is clutch, but that, I mean that. I mean, talk about a more pressure-filled moment. I mean, that's that's like that's like trying. That's like hitting a. Th- that's like doing what Kyrie Irving did in like in 2016 yeah. Game Seven of the NBA Finals, hitting a shot to win. Twelve seconds left in the tie game in the Game Seven of the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it that's is. a really good that's one. The golf equivalent of that. Now, I I think the majority of people would probably say Tiger chipping in on 16. That was from what was that 2000 and 2005, five, I believe. I think. Yes. That's not mine. Okay. Mine, we're going to go back to 2012. The Vern Lundquist call on that one. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um Oh my. Uh, we're, let's see. Let me see, let me see if you can get this by uh, by the year, 2012. Uh, Mike Weir playoff hole. Oh, uh, Bubba Watson. Yes, that is the greatest shot in under circumstances I have ever seen from the trees off the pine first, needles on the first playoff hole. First, we have to talk about the fact that. He duck hooked his tee shot into those trees, and he's lefty. So when he hits it left to right, usually for us we would consider that a slice. But he's a lefty, so that's a hook. Yep. So he duck hooks it right into the trees, and <laughs> you get to you get to his lie, and you see the camera angle, and you're like, oh, he's screwed. There's no chance he's gonna win. This guy takes a 52 inch wedge, and. Which, he, if you if you don't know, that's your flattest of your, of your wedges. Yeah, he actually, had, no, that's that's the more vertical of the ones. He had to play, he had to play another duck hook, but this time on purpose, 
And he hit a 52-inch wedge 152 yards to the center of the green 10 feet from the cup. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. On, on a bed of pine needles. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen. Then the weirdest thing, because he had to put so much spin on the ball, the, the 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 pin was actually basically in the middle of the green. He the ball lands front left of the green, and because of the spin on the ball, it just shoots to the right. It was incredible. I've never seen a golf shot like that before. That is one of your all time greatest golf shots. I know way back in nineteen thirty five, Gene Zerzin. <laughs> Had an albatross had an albatross on on fifteen, and that tell the up, fine folks what an albatross is. So that's well, that's if you get it in in two shots on a par five. That's a double eagle, my friends. That is like crazy. That's harder to do than a hole in one, mm. honestly. Mm-hmm. So he did that. Like I consider that the greatest shot ever, at Augusta. But like Bubba Watson's shot has got to be like number two, probably. Yeah, and because like it wasn't luck. He purposely tried to play that shot. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. Like, he was perpendicular to the hole, basically. Like, if you're looking, if, if he's... He if was he's, perp, you're saying? Yeah. If, mm-hmm. he, if he's lining up for a shot and he's looking straight out to what his line is, he sh- he's basically shooting into the trees on the other side of the fairway. It's basically what he was aiming at. But he played such a hook on it that it basically... It got out from the trees to the fairway, and it just went. It's one of the. It's the craziest shot I've ever seen in my life. I will never forget seeing that shot live. He made the birdie for the win, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's even more. So he ended up winning, that's the, other winning thing. the Masters. Yeah. You make that crazy shot, and then he goes stones and just drops the you, putt. But then, like, I mean, he dropped his nuts on the green. And any player can tell you, like, even if you're just like. A, a normal player, you know, you go out there, you shoot 90 or 95 or 100 on the play. If you make a great shot onto the green on your second shot and you're like five feet away for a birdie, like you, you know, you probably miss five footers sometimes. You're, you better not miss that one. Oh, yeah. Like that, like that is, that is the greatest shot I've ever seen. That's, it's just, I mean, Tigers chip in on 16 was incredible, but let's not forget the fact that this was also in the playoff. Right. They were in overtime at, at that point. You know, sudden death. Yeah. So a bad shot is pretty much curtains. I can't remember who he was who who he was up against in that playoff. I can't remember. It was 2012. I'll have it here in a sec. That's, that was Bubba Watson's second Masters Championship because he won in 2010. And then he won in 2012. But, I mean, you know... It was against Louis Oosthuizen. That's right. It was against Sweet Lou. Um, this was during a time when South Africa had like runners up to the, the three and I'll tell years you what, in a row or something like that. Is there like people think that golf, like watching golf, is boring? And sometimes it can be. It's incredible to play, but sometimes it can be boring to watch. Is there anything in sports that's as like intense or just wild as the? Be- as the back nine on Sunday at Augusta. It's pretty wild. I mean, because I think the course is pretty well laid out was, because Amen Corner comes early in the back nine. Yeah, 11, 12, which, 13. So you, so you kind of jolt up that intensity pretty early on, and then, like, they let the, the finishing holes kind of speak for themselves. If you need to make a number 
Is there a more intimidating par three in the world than 12 when the pin is in between those two bunkers? Oh, that is – I mean, you can't even go for the pin. You have no. to just kind of go for I mean, one I mean, side I, or the I, other. I mean, unless, unless you're like, okay, I'm either going to win or lose with this shot. I'm just going to go for it. The hole is actually very similarly laid out to 17 at Pebble Beach. That's also a, an hourglass type of a green. It, that's more of a downhill shot into the if, wind kind of. If you're watching the Masters yeah. this weekend – uh, make sure you watch these golfers play hole 12, and you'll understand what we're talking about. The The green is almost like a dog bone to where it's wide on the ends. It's an hourglass. Yeah, hourglass. That's a better way to put it. And then there are these two bunkers in front and behind the middle of the green, and the green just gets so narrow in that little area. And usually, especially on Sunday, that's where they put the t- – That's where they put the, They'll uh, put the, it on one the, side or the other in the early rounds, but on Sunday – Yeah. They have a tendency, and they do this in, in pretty much every tournament, but especially in majors. They they look the at a green, and they're locations. like, what would be the hardest place to get the right. ball in the hole? Okay, that's where we're putting Like on 16, it's right behind the pond, I gotta, you know, I for example. Think, has there ever been a hole-in-one on 12? Oh, boy. I mean, I'm sure there has been. I mean, 16, it's happened a lot. But, I mean, not, not necessarily during the actual Masters, but when they do those practice rounds, yeah. Uh, 16, all you got to do is put it in the little valley just to the, to the right – and it just rolls down to the left toward toward the hole. And that's that's exactly what I was going to get to next was when, when we're talking about the most exciting uh, few hours in sports, for me, it's Sunday at Augusta. 2019, when Tiger Tiger's tee shot on 16, where he almost rolled it in for a hole-in-one, mm-hmm. it, it was just two inches uh, high from, uh, on the cup. It just rolled by. He did exactly what you talked about. He put it high. Up near the center of the green, the the pin location was bottom left, and he put it there, and it just followed the track and just rolled down. And it, it's it's what's awesome about it is it takes like it takes like fifteen twenty seconds for the ball to like roll down there. It but takes a while. It just builds the suspense, and you got you got icons of broadcasting like Vern Lundquist going, "Oh my goodness!" They put Vern on that hole every single year. Oh, it's, oh, yeah. God, I love the Masters. There was one year, I don't remember which one it was, but there one group that was like maybe four groups away from the last group. Guy gets a hole in one. Guy got a hole in one in the very next group behind him. Yeah. The crowd was just like going complete bananas. Well, so even uh the, that shot I was just talking about with Tiger, Brooks Kepka was setting up on 17. These guys, uh, it was Kepka, Tiger, Dustin Johnson, uh and um Francesco Molinaro and Tony Finau, who was playing with Tiger on Sunday, him and Molinaro, Molinari, they were all within like a stroke or two. And Kepka was setting up on 17T when Tiger hit his tee shot on 16. And they had there's there's a camera angle of Kepka setting up, and all of a sudden the crowd just goes absolutely bonkers, and he has to step away from the tee shot. And as everybody's <laughs> looking over at 16 green because they, they all because he can't see there, so they all thought the tiger just hold out. Could you imagine being Brooks Kepka being in with like one shot of Tiger Woods? You hear that roar, and, <laughs> he holds him one on and, 16. Well, and you know it's coming from 16, so so he's probably thinking, "You got to be kidding me, Tiger just hold out on 16." <laughs> I mean, imagine trying to hit a tee shot after that. Like well, it's uh, well. Okay, if you look at it one of two ways, you'd be like, "Oh, well, shoot, it's over now," or you could be like, "Well, it doesn't really matter what I do now, so let's yeah. just let's just try and bomb <laughs> yeah, it." Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 final round in 2019 was some was just absolutely incredible. And of course, Tiger winning it, um, the roar he got on the tap in on 18 to win the tournament. 
And I got to tell you. unbelievable. The amount of planning that goes into an event like this and how they say they're not about the money and everything, they the Masters, they made a masterful decision that year because the weather forecast said as you got deeper into the afternoon, the rain was going to come and you're probably going to not make it in. So they ended up starting half the field on the back nine. Yeah. And they did almost shotgun, partly shotgun to, to finish the round. So they actually finished up by like 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. Usually yeah. they're finishing at like 6.30, 7 o'clock in you know, prime time. They said, we're going to do away with prime time. We're going to make sure that we get the tournament in. And the tournament itself did the talking Yeah, with that amazing, incredible finish. Absolutely incredible stuff. Because I mean, a lot, even, of, a lot of events wouldn't have made that decision. Even if you don't like golf. I highly, I highly recommend and implore you. I would say probably Sunday afternoon, maybe starting at three. Turn on CBS and just watch the back nine. If it's close at all, and again, we don't know because you know we can't control. Could like, be a guy that would could be exactly. ahead by eight shots, right. but like probably that's not going to happen. Like last year, Hideki Hideki Yatsuyama, great golfer, but. Nobody really knew who he was. If you don't, if nobody you don't outside of Japan. Well, really. if you don't, well, if you don't consistently watch golf, like I know who Yats, uh, Matsuyama was, but I, you know, never really followed him. Whatever. But if it's like 2019 and you've got Tiger, Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Louis Oosthuizen, uh, but 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 some some newer guys like Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, any of those guys, Bryson DeChambeau, D- anybody? Bryson DeChambeau, yeah, I mean. That's going to be just incredible, incredible television and entertainment. It's going to be unbelievable. The Sunday, Master Sunday, the specifically the back nine. If it's close, you can't you can't get better sports TV than that. I mean, it's just incredible. Like every shot, you know, guy hits a shot. They switch over to this guy. He hits a shot. You got go over to this guy. He's, he's he's making a putt. He makes a putt to get within one shot. And then the guy that's ahead of him, you go over to him. He's on the green. He misses a putt. So now everybody's even. So it's just crazy. Golf is a great oh. sport when you're when you're talking about having to, you know, here's what's happening here, here's what's happening here, and oh by the way, something crazy <sighs> just happened on this yeah. hole, you know, and, and it all cra- matters yeah. in, in terms of the actual outcome. And you hear like because there's going to be so many people there, like you could be uh, watching a guy putting on a green live, and then you just hear this faint roar from like five holes away of some guy that just like hold out from the fairway or chipped in from somewhere or something. It's just incredible. I just, oh, I love I can't it. Believe I have to go to Augusta once. I can't believe I'm going to make a second analogy between golf and soccer tonight, but I'm going to. What happens in, at the end of a golf tournament when you got three, four, five, six guys all close like that, and your scoreboard watching is in so-, so in soccer usually if you have three or four teams that are in it for the league championship on the final day, all the games are played at the same time. Right. So you could have one goal somewhere. 65 minutes into the game could, you know, put a team on top of the standings, but then like another goal somewhere else three three minutes later could end up changing that, and it just goes all the way down to the very end. Uh, it, it just makes for great TV. It really does. And this, this is why I was so critical of the NFL moving some games to Saturday on the last week last year because yeah. I was like, that's completely anti. That's the opposite of that. Yeah. It's like, what, are they just trying to – you know, not create drama in the interest of the almighty dollar. Like, you know, so good for the masters and good for, you know, the sports that actually want to do that and have create this theater. Yeah. Okay. So let's pick our winners for masters uh, this year. I just want to go over the odds 
uh, to okay. win. Um, so top of the list, uh, John Rahm, twelve to one. Uh, Justin Thomas comes in at thirteen to one. I don't know who this guy is, but Cameron Smith is at fifteen to one. Dustin Johnson, fifteen to one. Scotty Scheffler, fifteen to one. Is Cameron Smith the one who just won the players? Probably. Yeah. If he's that high up, probably. Uh, Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth, and Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, who was an amateur back in 2019, are all at 19 to one. Uh, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantlay, both at 22 to one. Xander Shoffley, 24 to one. And then you're getting into a bunch of long shots. Tiger Woods is 50 to one. Bryson DeChambeau, who's coming off of injury, 50 to one. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to see. Where oh I, I said Kepka already. Sergio seventy five to one. Patrick Reed seventy five to one. Trying to think of Bubba Watson eighty five to one. Wow. Wow. Gee. Ooh. Okay. He's a multi time Masters winner. Uh, trying to think. One See. other interesting thing that we didn't mention about the Masters: it's the only tournament that if you win, you have a lifetime exemption. Yeah. You get to play in it every year for the rest of your life if you want to. Yeah. No other major has. I think the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. You're in for the next ten years, but they don't. Here's go a good. That. Here's an interesting good. Uh, 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 good money bet. Francesco Molinari is at two eighty to one. Oh, you would say that. <laughs> hey, he's been there. He's been there at the top he's of the leaderboard numerous times. Yeah. Uh, how about Jose Maria Oatabo at uh, <laughs> one thousand to one? Oh man. Um, yeah, these are your like. Like we're saying, these past winners who just get to play just for well, yeah. for gigs. Larry Mize, Sandy Lyle, uh, Mike Weir is also a thousand one. VJ Bernard Sims Langer, also, yep, also a thousand to one. Fred Couples. Um, so who do you got winning? Oh, who do I have winning? I'm between well, I'm between three guys, and I have to make a decision in the next couple of minutes. I am going with Patrick Reed. Wow. Okay. Yes. Patrick Reed is wow. I, I think a fashionable choice. He's okay. he's a guy who I, if I remember correctly, has he won the Masters before? He, I don't think so. No. So he's had a few cases where he's been close. I think his putting is what's let him down in some of those occasions. But uh, I think he's a solid player. And honestly, I wasn't going to go with one of the favorites. I just I don't know. I just feel I feel pretty good about his ability. I um. I'm going to go Scotty Scheffler. Okay. Scotty Scheffler's playing extremely well right now. And I think he's got the most momentum coming into this tournament. The other guys that I was that I was uh, debating on was Justin Thomas uh and uh um Kepka. Kepka always plays well at the Masters. Yeah, these are all among the proverbial favorites here, but for yeah. good reason. So I'm going to go Scotty Scheffler. But uh okay. So that's who we got as winners of the Masters. Now, we didn't pick this guy, but probably the most miraculous story, and if you watch any any part of the Masters, this is what you're going to hear the most of. You would hear the most of him in any year, but this year especially because the fact that this guy is going to try and play in the Masters, is it's a statistical anomaly. Like, there's no way that he should be playing in this tournament, and that's Tiger Woods. Good old Tig. I mean, he was in a, a car accident 14 months ago that almost had his leg amputated. He has steel rods, screws, and plates in both legs. He's 46 years old with a bad back. 
bad back and really bad legs. And Not a good combination. And he's going to play. My biggest thing, I think he can play fine. Like I think his, I think he's going to be able to swing it fine. My issue with him is going to be, is he going to be able to walk 18 holes four straight days? At, well, Aug- at Augusta, which is a pretty undulated course. Well, some people would be, you know, contender for smart ass of the week by saying, well, he's only going to have to walk for two days. <laughs> that hey, you know, he could play five holes and then just you know say forget his it. Leg I can't is do it. Up. Yeah, I mean, no. and nobody and nobody would nobody would think think anything of that. I mean, what the guy is doing is incredible. I think pride would probably like make it so if you want to at least finish the first round. But, Here's the thing, though. You know. And he said it today during his press conference. Uh, somebody asked him, Tiger, do you actually think that you can win? He goes, I do. I don't think Tiger would play in this turn. Even though I will say, because of his age, this is probably one of the last years where he can play and actually, like, you know, you could think, oh, yeah, Tiger's still, you know, good enough to win. He wouldn't be here if he thought he was going to shoot 82 no. and, and go home immediately. No. Like that, that's... And obviously he's felt good in his practice rounds because if he didn't feel good or look good in his practice rounds, he'd be like, yeah, sorry, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it this year. We'll try for next year. Yeah. He obviously feels like he can, he can finish four rounds and he can be competitive. And uh, if he is within striking distance on Sunday – like I, I just got done saying that Master Sunday is some of the greatest sports television. You won't find a better sporting event this year than if that guy is in contention this year with everything that he's been through over the last year and a half. When you think about some of the most iconic moments and, and tournaments ever in golf, you have to include Tiger wearing the red on oh. Sunday. Sunday red. Yeah, I'm gonna wear Sunday red in honor. Of t- if he makes it to Sunday in this Masters tournament, I'm wearing Sunday red. Wearing red. Oh, absolutely. You can't like. There have been times in his career when I didn't like like any like anybody. You know, Tiger when he was in his prime, he was the Yankees in the '90s. He was, you know, the Patriots dynasty. You know, they won so much that you just friggin' hated them. Michael Jordan or Tom Brady yes. on a golf course. Yes. That's what he was. Yes, but. It's gotten to the point now where some of the things that he's done, like winning the Masters in 19 after not winning it for how many years? When was the last time he won the Masters before 19? Was it 2005? Might have been. Yeah. Like, people forget this guy's in his mid-40s now. And I know golf, like, I know golf you can be competitive like until you're 50. I mean, look at Phil Mickelson. He's 51, I think. But Tiger... Yeah, I mean, he's just absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I'm rooting for him big time. So hopefully he wins. Um, obviously, I don't think it's going to happen. I just think it's 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 too too steep of a hill to climb. But if he's in contention on Sunday, look the frick out. Because I think on adrenaline alone, he might be able to push himself to uh, – push himself to a win and we used to always consider tiger the greatest front runner of all time in golf to where if tiger has a lead on sunday in any major forget, forget it. it it's over but if he's if he has to come back he he was never good at doing that until the 19 masters which like a tiger or a lion uh waiting to pounce on his prey he was walking guys down 
at the 19 Masters. And I think just the adrenaline, the crowd, and all that, I think you could look for the same on Sunday if he's in contention on Sunday. Tiger Woods has won the Masters five times, and indeed, like you said, 1997, 2001, 2002, 2005, and 2019 are his Masters wins. So he went 14 years without winning the Masters. And you mentioned Phil Mickelson, too. He's got three Masters wins, 2004, 2006, and 2010. Yep. So, yeah. So Steve's got Patrick Reed. I've got Xander Shoffley. Not Xander Shoffley. I've got um, Scotty Scheffler. Xander Shoffley wouldn't be a bad guess either. He always plays well at the Masters over the last few years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's that's going to do it for us. Um, one last thing. One last thing. Tiger Woods wins the Masters. He ties Jack for the most Masters wins ever. Six? Yep. Wow. Still would be, what, two or three behind him for total? For overall, yes. I don't think he's ever going to catch that. No. But, yeah. I mean, if there's two courses... If there's if there's two courses that people consider Tiger's personal ATMs, it's Augusta National, and it's Firestone Country Club in Akron, Ohio. Oh my gosh, he, Tiger he won would that term like three always or four years win in a row. there. That was his personal ATM. You yeah. remember the time that they they almost didn't get the final round in time because there was a weather delay and Tiger was almost hitting into the 18 uh, in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> they actually gave him the option to like you know you could you could finish the next day's like no I'm I'm just hitting and and literally the flash bulbs are going off as he puts it within 2 feet of the pin yeah unbelievable shout he, out Firestone Country Club yeah awesome it's an absolute travesty that there's not a major PGA tournament there anymore that's trash yeah it is well anyway that's going to do it for us uh this week if uh, if you're not a golfing fan and you're still listening to us thank you for toughing it out i'm telling you Watch the Masters. It's incredible. It's so cool. Even if you don't like the game of golf, just watch it for the traditions. Watch it for the commentary. Watch it to just see the landscape. And it certainly beats talking about the Guardians or the Cavaliers right oh, now. Oh God, I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about the Guardians and how they're lowballing their best player right now. It's going to force them to trade him at the trade deadline this year. And I just, uh, God, another week, another we love, time. We love you, Jose Ramirez. Don't don't think of Cleveland when you think of the when you think of the Guardians organization because it's it's not one of the same. But anyway, uh, we'll probably touch on that more next week, uh, and we will probably talk more about the uh, Cavaliers as they uh, uh, either are getting ready for or are playing in the play-in tournament by next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. When does that start? Uh well, on the calendar it says Monday through Thursday. Okay, so they'll be in there. They may stagger it between the conferences. I don't know what the exact schedule is, but yeah. either Monday or Tuesday will be their first game, I thought. So we'll be we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, Cavs are limping towards the finish line uh, with, with just a ton of injuries, and uh, they, they took a loss to the Orlando Magic tonight. Um, Orlando. Yeesh. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I believe they – well, they played Orlando last week, and I believe it. they went – they barely beat them. They, pull, they barely the, pulled the game out, so it's not a fluke, unfortunately. Yeah. So, But anyway – uh, we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, thanks for listening to the Masters edition of LOTL. Uh, he's Steven. I'm Dan. You can follow us at the LOTL podcast on social media. And we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. Bye.